0: I was very bitter and angry i had totally turned off god like at this time i was you know i was a youth leader at my church i was you know studying theology like i mean i i was doing all of these religious things but i was so far from god because i was so mad and hurt
1: This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big miraculous ways all the way down to small everyday things. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. This week is Kylie, and I have with me Rahel Wells. Um, She is a friend of Sarah's. Sarah was on a while ago, and Sarah also had Brian. suggested. So Sarah's recruiting people for us. We love that. Um, But yeah, I'm super excited. Rahel and I have been talking for a while um, and she's come to share about divorce and lamenting, which is something we haven't talked a lot about on here. So I'm really excited about that. So we're going to say a prayer and we'll get started. Uh, Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here with Rahel and for the chance to hear her stories and hear about some hard times in her life, but also to hear about how glory can be brought to your name, even through these hard times and just about the ways that you've worked through her life. Um, Please just be with her and with I send your Holy spirit to be with us and guide the words that we speak and be with the hearts and the minds of our listeners in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Rahel. So why don't you tell everybody where you're from?
0: Yeah. So I am from Berrien Springs, Michigan, which is a little town right beside Lake Michigan and right above the Indiana border. So kind of right across the lake from Chicago. And I was born here and I've lived here most of my life, which I did not think would be the case when I was <laughs> a kid, but you know, God has funny plans for our lives. So
1: yes, yes, for sure. I know I, I live in Idaho and the part of Idaho I'm in, is not where I ever envisioned myself, but God has placed me here for sure. Uh, mm. So I understand that feeling. All right. Well, tell us about your religious background. Did you grow up in a Christian home?
0: Yeah. So I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist and both my parents teach in a Seventh-day Adventist seminary here in Berrien Springs, Michigan. And so I grew up, my dad was a pastor before I was born, but then when I was born, he was already a professor um, at the seminary here. So um, yeah, I grew up, I don't know, I guess a teacher's kid. Um, but I think a seminary kid is kind of a different thing. It's more like a pastor's kid because you, you are just really very kind of observed, you know, by lots Mm. of people. Um, but yeah, my parents were very humble, still are humble, modest down to earth people who you would have no idea that they do the like very important things in the church that they do. And I just really appreciated that my Both of them were very involved in my life growing up and taught me to love God and taught me to, um, not be a legalist, even though many (laughs) other Adventists are tend towards that direction. Um, I still struggle with it in my life, but it's not because of my family. I feel very blessed to have a very good family. I've had a lot of other difficult experiences in my life, but most of them have not been related to my family. So,
1: um,
0: they really taught me to love God, love serving him, love following him. and I they're just very, very blessed. And they still are that today. I mean, they're, they love each other. They, they just are great people. So
1: mm, that's so awesome. That's so cool. And that's funny uh, about being a seminary kid about being like a PK and a teacher's kid, a pastor's kid and a teacher's kid. That's kind of could be the worst and best of
0: both worlds. <laughs> uh, yes. but how fun. That's definitely cool. some positives and definitely some challenges, but not not all bad. I still am close friends with a lot of the other seminary kids that I grew up with because you know there's just so few of us, and it's just you you just really bond.
1: So. Oh, I bet that unique experience that you like only a few kids have, really. That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, all right. Well, you share came to share about um divorce, um, your experience and about lamenting. So I'll let you get started on those topics.
0: Yes. So as you might imagine, growing up as a seminary kid, I, you know, I just had, and, and in a family where my parents were just like totally in love with each other and had this beautiful marriage and I, you know, and yet it was a very real marriage. I mean, I knew that they had disagreements and struggles, but they worked through them and it was just, I just remember feeling like I want a marriage like that, you know, like, and um really from a very young age decided that I wanted to, you know, keep myself pure and try to like wait for the right guy. Like I just, I really wanted, you know, I wasn't one of these people who believed in like, there's only one person for you, you know, Mm. but I was looking for someone who was really godly and loving and, you know, kind of like my dad, you know, this was my, this was my desire. Um, and so I made a kind of promise and this was, in high school, it was the, the, all the craze at that time was of course, this like, don't kiss till you're married. And oh wow. so in, in Christian circles at the time, I mean, it's still kind of there, but it's less. Yeah. So yeah no, book, I have I a friend who, who and,
1: he did that. He waited till marriage and for his first kiss. And I
0: was like, wow. But yeah, I, you know, at this point now, now in my life, I definitely don't recommend it because <laughs> I, think, I think it can, lead people into a false sense of Im- impression of that person for instance mm-hmm. you know kissing someone well of course it leads you down the direction of sex mm-hmm. it also tells you a lot about how that person's going to treat you sexually mm-hmm. right so like are they going to respect your boundaries are you going to actually feel attracted to them more than just on the outside you know like there's just a lot of things that that are they gonna are they gonna be willing to kiss you the way you want to be kissed and Mm. are they gonna be willing to have sex with you what you know like yeah
1: well and also like public display of like affection and stuff like you know are they want they want to kiss you everywhere like like in any situation are they like more like oh like this is for
0: private like are like not so public so Correct. I think it can tell you a lot. And I, you know, so I tell young people today, my, when I talk to teenagers at my church, I'm, I work with a lot of teens and um, you know, I'm like, Hey, I don't, I'm not advocating that you kiss just anyone. Right. Like <laughs> but if you're in the place where you're ready to get married and you are, you know, you're thinking about possibly marrying this person, you should definitely try to kiss them beforehand. Like Cause you can tell a lot. So I didn't kiss my first husband before I married him. And I really think if I had, I would have had a lot more red flags and a lot more patient mm. that I should not be with this person. But, um, but I made this vow, you know, back in high school. And I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. And so I dated a guy in high school and we both had that viewpoint and, but he was just very like moody and, and, I mean, it's you know, a typical teenage guy, right? I mean, we're all moody when we're teenagers, I think. So for sure, it was just some difficult experiences I had with him. He wasn't always nice to me. And so I broke up with him and went into college. And within my freshman year, I met a guy who was seemingly the opposite personality wise that the guy I dated in high school. So he was like, really attractive to me because of this, you know, like, it was just like, wow, he's super fun and enjoyable and charismatic and goofy. And like, you know, had a good sense of humor and loved a lot of the same things I did. And we had a similar friend group. And so to be really good friends and through a long story, eventually started dating. And I remember when we started dating, he had this same view. He's like, I don't want to kiss until we get married. And I was just like, whoa, Right, this is like the answer to my prayers because I just, um, of course, what he did not tell me at the time was that he'd already been sexually active and oh. he already had, um, and he was still cheating on me through our whole
1: oh my,
0: but I didn't know any of that at the time. And I was naive and you know just believed what someone said, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't even think to question that he was not telling me the truth. Um, there were Definitely, of course, looking back, knowing what I know now, some red flags along the way, but I didn't, they weren't like these glaring, obvious ones, you know? And so I just, and, and we dated for four years. My whole family loved him. All my friends loved him. Like, you know, there were a couple of times I broke up with him because of a couple of things, but we worked through those and got back together. And I just, I really felt like this was the person that God was leading me to, to marry. And just like seemingly like the relationship like was seemingly very godly, you know,
1: like it seemed like everything was like in line and like you guys were doing the right way, not active sexually. And just like seemingly it was just this good, healthy relationship, you know?
0: Yes. I mean, that's what it felt to me. I look back now and I realize there was a lot of unhealthiness there, but Mm. he was also a very good He played a lot of good charades, Mm. you know. Mm So, and I think I also know from later on in our marriage, I mean, he was a very broken man who had, you know, just never really worked through his brokenness. So I don't believe he went into marrying me trying to hurt me. Yeah. Like it's like there are there are some people who do that, but I don't I've never thought of him that way. I just think he was broken and hurting and had never found freedom. And Mm. so He turned to other women to find that that escape, you know, from his pain. Yeah. And so there was a lot of things that he hid from me that I did not know until later on in our marriage. And, um, so I, you know, yeah, it's like even in in the years of therapy I have done, my therapist has indicated to me that she's like, yeah, Raquel, there's really no way you could have known. Like that's how good of a liar someone is who's been lying their whole life, you know, like you can't. And and again, I don't think he set out, he wasn't like, I'm going to lie to Rahel. I think he was (laughs) trying to cover up his shame from the past things he had done and the present things he was doing, you know, he just, he, he wanted to start again, start over. But I think you can't really start over until you deal with your past stuff, right? You can't. Mm start afresh. Cause that stuff's always going to come back to haunt you. And, um, I think that goes for, if you're coming out of a divorce too, like so many people come out of divorce and go straight into another relationship and you just, you often carry that same stuff with you, you know, the same kind of baggage. And so, um, or struggles. Mm-hmm. So we got married and soon after we got married, well, really on our wedding day, when we first kissed, I was like, Oh no, I remember thinking this, like, this is not good because I don't feel respected. I don't feel, mm. um, valued. I don't feel like, I don't feel this tender care and concern that I thought it was going to, you know, when I, and this was my very first kiss, I was oh, super yeah. nervous, you know, I'd never kissed anyone and I'm having to do it in front of so many people, you know? Yeah. And So that's, again, another reason I would not recommend it. Like, it's one thing to wait until maybe, you know, you're engaged or something, but like, it's just really difficult and it doesn't often, I mean, again, if someone chooses to do that more power to them, but I'm just sharing my story and recognizing that I would do it differently now if I could do it over
1: yeah. And you're not, yeah, you're definitely, you're sharing your side of the experience and it's definitely like a different view than sometimes is like definitely preached like within some churches, especially more like conservative churches. Um, and I definitely think it's a viewpoint that needs to be shared and it's not, yeah, like you said, we're not trying to say don't do the other side, but this is right. the pros of, of doing it, you know, of kissing before marriage and stuff. So yeah.
0: Right. And I, I am comforted in this, that the song of Solomon in the Bible has the two before they get married they're kissing they're making out they they don't have sex before marriage but they are not just never touching each other or never kissing so again we have that option of choosing what we want to do but the bible gives us the the ideal relationship there in song of songs is includes kissing before you get married so
1: hmm.
0: I, that is that is just really i think important to think about too so at any rate but that's not what i did yeah so um So right soon after we got married, I found out that he was addicted to porn and Mm. other sexual things. And so that just began a bunch of cycles of pain in our marriage. And, um, we were married for 10 years and during most of that time he was cheating on me. Again, I don't know how many times because he still hit it a lot. And it would be, I would have to like do a lot of work to find out. The next time that had happened, you know, mm-hmm. and mm. I, from the very get go, became super depressed and discouraged, and I was just so like, what in the world? Like, here I have saved myself. I've tried to be, you know, but I, I, I felt immediately that he did not really want me. You know, mm. he wanted a certain picture of me, and that was not actually me. Mm. Um, and so he used that as an excuse. He used then my fear, my uncertainty my my um questions as an excuse to continue to act out in his behavior and so yeah I went into deep depression I what uh, doc I was in a master's program at the time it should have taken me two years to eight I
1: wow. was just
0: barely functioning um, most days I was suicidal I You know, I started losing weight. I lost like 30 pounds over the course of several years. Um, And, you know, no one could tell me why. Like doctors, I would go to all these doctors, you know. Um, I had panic attacks. I was in the hospital, you know, on and off for various um, health issues. I never tied those to the abusive actions in my marriage because it turned into abuse as well. Um, So I never tied those to that because I just thought, well, especially based on my background. I'm like, I need to just support my husband. I need to like, you know, cause one thing my parents had, had indicated to me, even though they didn't like say this, like, this is what you should do, but they would talk about it. Like there's things in our marriage. This just between us and God. And like, we want to support each other and all of this. And so, and I think that's really positive when it's a healthy marriage, but when it's not, you need help. You need outside help. But I, had this naive assumption that I needed to just keep it all in.
1: And Mm -hmm. that was
0: my way of protecting, you know, our marriage. And so I never talked to a therapist. I never talked to a friend. I never told anyone what was going on for like about eight years. Wow. Um, and so it was destroying me inside, you know, um, but I would during that time, probably the first four or five years of our marriage, I was very bitter and angry and I had totally turned off God. Like at this time I was, you know, I was a youth leader at my church. I was, you know, studying theology. Like I mean, I I was doing all of these religious things, but I was so far from God because I was so mad and hurt at I was blaming God. I actually don't believe it was God's fault. I think God actually gave me all sorts of indications while we were dating that this was probably not a wise person to marry, but I You know, didn't listen and I didn't listen to my gut. I listened to friends and I listened to other people and I didn't listen to my you know my own self in the matter. And so but God, you know, I don't believe God left me or that it was God's fault. I think a lot of bad things happen because people choose them, you know, Mm -hmm. and God gives us free choice. So I yeah, I was super bitter. And so that of course didn't help any matters, right? So like he was already acting out. So if I'm bitter and angry and upset that just drives him further into the behavior. So even though I don't blame myself for his behavior, I do look back and I say, I could have made choices differently. I could have set boundaries. I could have gotten help. You know, there's a lot of things I could have done that might have driven him to get help rather than Mm -hmm. eventually leave, you know, but he, Mm. um, but like you said, you know, you were keeping this all in and at a young
1: age, you know, you didn't necessarily know the right steps to take and like I don't yeah things aren't really always talked about too. like oh if your husband is addicted to porn or if this happens like in the church we don't always talk about how to address these issues in the best way and I also feel like while you know being bitter is not the best reaction it's very understandable and
0: justifiable like yeah yeah and I I agree I think you're right in that wanted to talk about this because they're like we don't talk about it exactly know? we don't, we don't legitimize getting help for marriages and we just feel like people should know what to do you know but most people don't um and yeah i i do think my anger was justified and my my feelings of frustration and fear and but i think i held on to those does that make sense so it's yes. like there's a difference between feeling those feelings walking through them working through them and, and just living in them beyond and Yeah. Living in them. So, um, it's hard. Like I later on do in learning how to do that. It was a a long process of realizing, okay, it is okay that I have these feelings just because, um, I used them negatively in the past doesn't mean they're wrong to have. It's just, what am I going to do with them when I have them? Mm, Yes. Um, so yeah, I eventually sought help and found a counselor, And, um, yeah, like, well, actually several counselors over the course of several years and finally came to the place where I realized, wow, this is really not my fault. He brought this into the marriage and, and he needs to get help. Like I, but I was not at all thinking the marriage would end. Like Mm -hmm. I, at this point was starting to come back to God. I was praying again. I was just like, God, you can save this marriage. You can give us a ministry of reconciliation. We can help other people. You know, I had so much hope at this point and I was just praying continuously. And by this time I started a doctoral program and I had lots of friends in, I was at Wheaton College. I had lots of friends there who were praying for me, friends here in, in Michigan who were praying for me. And us, you know, our marriage. And so I started being open about it more. I started talking about it. But unfortunately, my husband at the time did not want to get help. I, I think mm-hmm. it had just gone too far. He was having a current affair at that point. And so he just over, well, he, he did a few things to like try to get help, but he said, oh, they didn't work, right? Like this is what he said. And then he didn't try them for very long. And then he ultimately decided to leave and divorce mm-hmm. me. And it was so devastating to me because I really, at this point, believed there was so much hope, and I had just started my job here teaching in a university, and and I was I was so hopeful, like I was just like, you know, God has led us, God has blessed us, God has helped us, and we just bought a house. I mean, just all of these mm. things that had seemed to like fall together in a positive sense, and wow. I was so concerned because here I was teaching religion and. I'm like, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose everything. Like, how can he leave? I don't understand. Like he hasn't left for 10 years. Why would he leave now? You know? Wow. And it was just utterly devastating to me. Um, I, I, yeah, I was reeling for like a year. I I kept praying for him to come back and pray, you know, it took me a good year, year and a half to two years for my therapist to help me see like, no, this was a positive thing that he left. Like, you were in a very abusive marriage, very painful marriage, one where he was just never interested in getting help. And, you know, does that mean he, it could have still turned around? Sure. But the fact that he was not interested in that meant that it would have just continued on in misery if he'd stayed Mm. And you know, um,
1: and, like, I'm sure that's like hard. Cause like, you know, you had this idea of like, this is how God's going to answer my prayers. Like I'm coming back to him. He's going to answer them in such or such a way. And then to see that, you know, whether it's like God's answer to prayer that he leaves or if it's his, um, your ex-husband's own free choice that he leaves, you know, like not having that answer from God that you want, that's a hard place to be. I'm just like, God, this is not, <laughs> this was not the plan. This
0: is not the answer. So hard. You're so right. I, 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 you know, and I think, again, this is where this free will thing comes in, you know, Mm -hmm. did God want me to marry him in the first place? Um, I sense not, you know, I think God led me to him as a friend. Um, but I think he gave me an, I mean, obviously I made my own choices. God knew what I was going to do, I believe, but I don't believe God had ordained that I would marry this man, but, Mm -hmm. um, and i don't believe also though that once we got married that god wanted us to get divorced right i think god was doing everything he could to reach my ex husband and bring him back to god and um help him to see truth and light and mm-hmm. love um but he just chose to not hear it and again i i really don't think that he was malicious
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe there were a few times along the way i mean there was some Things he said to me that were pretty cruel, but, um, for the most part, I believe that he was acting out of his own pain and brokenness mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's hurt people who hurt people. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, we say that we throw that phrase around, but I really do think it's true that it's that those who are hurting that often hurt other people, whether they mean to or not. Um, so yeah, I, even though I had been really far from God at that point, I do believe, or before that, I do believe that one thing that God brought through my divorce was an ability to see that he could take even the broken things of my life and use them for good. Mm. And um, he brought me to a new understanding of his grace and of his compassion and mercy for me through my divorce. And he also you know, could he have done that through other ways? Of course. Right. But like, that's not how my life went and that's not how my ex-husband chose to live. So God was able to use those things in positive ways. And he also brought me a ministry that was different than I expected, but was a ministry to help other people who are broken Hmm. and other people who have gone through difficult things. And so when I share my story of pain and grief and loss and divorce, it I believe opens up a window for other people to feel comfortable sharing theirs, right? It's that, it's that idea of vulnerability begets vulnerability and it helps people to realize they're not crazy. They're not alone. Pe- people go through hard stuff and we need to be talking about our hard stuff so that other people can feel comfortable sharing about it too. And yes, find freedom.
1: Yes, for sure. And it just opens up that conversation. Like we said earlier, we don't talk about um, like porn addiction and we don't talk about divorce and stuff in the church and it opens it up that now there's a space to talk about it. Somebody else is talking about it, like that vulnerability.
0: Right. Right. So yeah, I think during that marriage, I was probably, I am certain that I was clinically depressed. I did not um, get diagnosed with depression until after that. Yeah. But I, you know, I, that's why everything took me so long. I could hardly get out of bed some mornings, you mm. know, suicidal, etc. Um, and I also didn't talk about that with people because I also had this, I think misnomer again, not from, this was not from my parents, but just from Christian society in general that, oh, if you're feeling down, just put a smile on your face and pray more and everything will be great. And <laughs> You know, I just don't think that's how the Bible speaks about depression, you know, and God understands the pain in our hearts and he cares for us. I think we see stories in the Bible, like Elijah, when he was depressed and wanted to die, God feeds him and touches him and cares for him and gives him time away from his responsibilities and, um, seeks to bring positive things back into his life. And he does not berate him and say, Oh, you should just pray more. So, (laughs) I'm so grateful for that because God sees our grief and loss and pain, whatever it's from, whether it's divorce or death or, you know, a breakup or, because I think if you've dated someone for a while, a breakup can be almost as painful as a divorce. You know, Mm. you, you may not have the, the belongings to split, right. And the lawyers to have, but you still have that broken trust and relationship that you valued so much and that you thought was going to be your whole life, you know? Um, so being able to sit in that grief and loss and pain and know that God is sitting there with you. I mean, that's just so meaningful and special to me. Um, so I, you know, I went through six years of singleness and healing and I loved it. I loved being single, I never thought I would say that, but I really, really loved being single. And I think God brought so many people and experiences into my life that brought me healing, you know, wonderful mm-hmm. new friends. I lost a lot of friends in the process because my ex told a lot of negative things about me to lots of people. And I was just like, you know, I could do that about him, but I would rather just live my life and let people see, you know, the the difference, the results. And so on, but I still lost a lot of friends. And so, but God brought me new friends. And um I did not lose my job and I did not lose That's my awesome. ministry at church, which was really God's miracles, I believe, to me. Um and so I just really did a boatload of healing therapy, lots of groups, lots of working through the process of what happened? Why did I end up in this marriage? You know, what did I bring that caused some of the problems as well? And then how can I find healing and hope in a future? Um, but I definitely never thought I'd get married again. And I definitely never thought I would get married to another sex addict. Um, because I thought for sure that that was, God, you know, using me to like, say, this is terrible, like tell people to run away from them. (laughs) Um, But instead, God brought me to a man who is, was in recovery from sex addiction and had, was very open and honest about his story. Um, And we do now have a ministry of reconciliation. So it's so interesting to me how my prayer from 12 years ago of wanting to have this reconciliation with my husband. I didn't think it would be a new husband, you know, but it's really cool how God even answered that prayer, like in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, my husband, my current husband still struggles with porn and, and well, the effects of the sex addiction at times. Mm -hmm. So he's not, you know, but he's worked, he worked so hard on his recovery and he is, um, he's struggled at times with hiding things from me too. And, but, you know, not, not anywhere to the level of my ex. And he is always, you know, once he realizes it, he, you know, changes things, right. So it's like, yeah, very different person. And I think that's been huge to me to realize, and, you know, it took me a long time to say, like, is this really what I really wanted get married to another sex addict, but God helped me to see that, you know, my past story helped me to understand my current husband, you know, I don't, Mm. as well as I know what I'm dealing with, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other people out there that you have no idea. Right. I knew from the get-go that this would be like, he was very honest from the beginning, even before we started dating. And so I knew what I was going into. It wasn't a surprise, you know, um, but it has still been hard because I have, Wounds and scars from the past that have sometimes been reopened and um, baggage, and you know he has his own wounds and baggage and scars from his family of origin and other things. And so, it's been a journey, uh, but we're coming up on five years of marriage now, and you know we're we're doing okay. And I would say I I don't know that I would say we have an awesome marriage, but we also don't have a bad marriage. You mm. know, and work hard at our marriage and we work hard to love each other and be honest and work through our struggles and, um, not hide them. And so, yeah, like, but it has been hard because I have wrestled, like, why God would you lead me to another person who struggles with the same stuff? And Mm. that's where the idea of lamenting comes in. And I think I didn't really know about lament. Well, I mean, I kind of did like you hear about it. Like you obviously know about the book of lamentations in the Bible, but It's not a book that people go and read very often, you know? Yeah.
1: And lamenting is not like a term we use very often. Like we might like, Oh, I like kind of know the definition, but what is that, you know, like, what does it really mean?
0: Correct. And we, like you say, we don't use it. (laughs) And I think this is part of the problem because then when we read laments, we're like, how can someone say that to God? Like, that sounds awful, right? What is, you know, what are they saying? And because we don't, use it, we often miss out, I think, on so much of scripture because there's actually a lot of laments in the Bible. Like so, so many. And um like a third of the psalms have some sort of lament in them. Mm. Um
1: and And so do you want to take a minute just to like, I don't know if you were going to get into it, but just the, the definition of lament just for those who are listening.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of hardish to define in a simplistic way but it's like a prayer when you're in a hard time Mm. basically so how do you pray when it seems like times are hard and God's abandoned you so and we tend to as Christians I think or at least I grew up with this notion again not so much from my parents but from like the culture at large like well my prayer should be thanksgiving my prayer should be praise to God my prayer should be like asking for things in my life, you know, or interceding for someone else. And so those are wonderful, but what they don't really answer. What, how do you pray when you're in a hard time Mm. where it doesn't seem like God is there when you don't feel like you have anything to praise God for when you don't want to thank him for anything, you know, or maybe even when you don't, you know, you don't know what to ask. Like you're just kind of in this horrible, difficult spot. Mm. Um, and you know, I in fact, I I think people many times reading laments feel like they're blasphemous, you know, Mm. because it's like they're saying to people say to God in a lament, like things are not right. Like I'm refusing to accept that this is what you want for me, God. (laughs) You know, like this is a problem. It has anger in it. It has complaining. It has mourning. It has crying out. It has weeping. Um, and those are things that we don't usually express to God.
1: Mm. It's all those emotions like that. We kind of almost like label as bad, especially if it's against somebody who's like sovereign, like God, you know,
0: correct. We feel like, oh my goodness, I can't do that. That's going to be wrong in some way, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really think I, and I, I kind of modified a couple of things that I, people, um, scholars that have written on this that have been helpful for me. And, um, I, I have like four points for a lament. So the first thing you do, and they, they, it's in an acronym of moan, M O A N, cause you're moaning to God, right? You're, you're crying, you're struggling, you're in, in pain. So the M is you meet up with God. You, the first thing is like, you, you come to him because our tendency in hard times, at least for me, my tendency is like, eh, I don't want to go to God. Right. God's the problem, God's brought this thing to me, or, you know, God could have fixed it. If he's God, if he's really all powerful and really all loving, like, why did he, why am I here? You know? So we first have to kind of overcome that hurdle and actually come to him. So we meet him. Um, and then the second one is O M O, which is open up. And this is where we just tell him everything. I mean, he already knows, I believe he already knows what's on our heart. So it's not like some surprise to him. Yeah, You know, it's really kind of a divine venting session. You're venting to God. You're just like, this makes no sense. You're, you're complaining. You're sharing with him, your fear, your pain, your frustration, your questions, your struggles, um, your feelings that he's absent, you know, all of these things. So you're opening up your heart. And honestly, to me, this is the hardest thing to do of the four because (laughs) I just feel like, well, I shouldn't say these things, even still, even though I've been doing this a lot and I try to practice it fairly regularly. But I struggle in this one. But that's the second one. Oh, and then A is ask for help. Mm -hmm. So you meet God, you open up to Him your struggles, and then you ask Him. And this is like where faith comes in. You are trusting that God is going to do something. It might not be right now, it might be in heaven, right? You might not have this experience removed from you. Like there's people like John the Baptist who I believe prayed and like nothing happened. Right. I mean, he still died in prison. Um, there's lots of people, martyrs through the centuries who have prayed these prayers of asking for help and nothing's happened. Um, God, or God has said, no, I actually don't believe God doesn't answer prayer. I think he always does. It just may not be a yes. Mm, you know, it might just look <laughs> they different. No, or wait, or maybe, or something like this, but Um, so, but you're asking, you're boldly asking and Jesus indicates, you know, if you you don't have, if you don't ask, Mm. so you're definitely not going to have it if you don't ask for it. Right. And still, I think sometimes God blesses us, even if we don't ask, but many times, I think there are things that he would do that because we don't ask, he can't for whatever reason. Of course he could overrule things, but I believe, in the great controversy that there's an evil power also trying to destroy us. And so therefore, um, God is sometimes again, letting free choice run its way or saying, you know, I am letting you decide if you're going to ask me for help, I will gladly do it, but otherwise he's not going to tread on our free will. Mm -hmm. Um, and so asking, and then the N of moan is nevertheless, trust God anyway, even if that thing doesn't happen the way you ask. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of this renewed commitment to follow God, even in the midst of your pain and trial. And I don't look at this N part as a Pollyanna, like everything's going to be, good. <laughs> you know, it's more like Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel three, where, they're told if you don't bow down, you're we're gonna be throw throw you into the fiery furnace. And then the king gives them one more chance. And he says, like, come on, aren't you gonna like do it? And they're like, No, we don't even want that one more chance because we believe, you know, and then okay, so then he's like, Well, then never mind, you're gonna go in the furnace. And they're like, Okay, we believe though that God is gonna save us from this furnace, you know. That's to me, this like asking for help, you know. Mm. Um And we believe he's able to save us, but if not, we're still going to serve him and not Mm. to To me, that's the end. That's the nevertheless, right? Like you're asking boldly, you're believing that God can change your situation, but even if not, you're going to trust him. And to me, this end is where our faith in the gospel comes where we're saying like, even if everything goes wrong in my life and my whole life falls apart and I lose everything, I still have heaven and that's enough, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that God is going to take me with him to be there for eternity. And that is enough for me to trust him now. So even though those are hard ones to me, still the O is the hardest because I have such a hard time opening up to God, but the end can also of course be really hard because to say like, Lord, I believe you can save me and change my circumstance. But even if not, I'm still going to trust in you. Mm-hmm. And I have had a really hard time lamenting in these last couple years of my marriage to my current husband, because I, you know, there's been some times of relapse and some times of where I found out about things that he was hiding from me. And it's just been very difficult. And I have had a hard time coming to God with this. But when I do, it's always so healing. Because mm. it, it keeps me in this perspective of like, you know, God is God's ultimate goal for us. I believe is to be in heaven, not to be happy, you know? And so he's willing to let us go through these difficult times. If it brings us back to him in a, you know, in a gospel centered way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, can I read an example of a lament in the Bible? Yeah, go for it. So this is Psalm 13, and it's a short little psalm. Um, but it kind of gets at the, the four steps. So he starts off Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord? And so his first thing, he's he's coming to God, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm coming to you, but then he asks all these questions and he's struggling so much. So he's opening up to God. He's saying, Will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Mm. So these are like emotions, right? Of fear and sorrow. It's also feeling so far from God and like God is not there at all abandoned. And then also like sharing that like the enemy is destroying him, you know, whatever enemies those may be. This is a Psalm of David, by the way. So David is saying this. And of course, To me, like that's even more crazy because David really knew God and David, you know, was one who was very close to God through most of his life, and yet he still felt these things. Mm -hmm. And then verse three is where he's asking. So he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I've prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So he's like, Don't forget me, God. Please help. Mm -hmm. You know, rescue me from my enemy. Um, restore my soul. But then verses five and six is where he comes to the nevertheless. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So it's this saying, you know, the reason I am rejoicing or the reason I am trusting is not because the thing is necessarily taken care of, but it's because of God's love and salvation ultimately, which which holds him through these really dark, difficult times.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like going through that and looking at it as lament. Because like like you were saying before about how like sometimes lamenting feels like blasphemous, blasphemy. I can't say the word all of a sudden. Anyways, but it's just that, and I've read Psalms and I'm like, oh gosh, David, how do you say that to God? Like, that's not- We don't say that to God, but like, but like we meet up with God and we're like, he already knows that's how we feel. And we're just like, okay, God, here it is. Here is the ugly. But then that balance of like, okay, here's the ugly, but I know you can help me. And even when you don't, um, like you said, nevertheless, I'll trust in God, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's hard. And like I said, it's definitely not something that I am very good at doing, (laughs) but it's something that's been really helpful for me. And I look back at the times when I was first coming back to God before my divorce, actually, I think I did a lot of this. I didn't know it, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, I didn't call it lament. I didn't know it was a lament, but that was, it was during those times where God was teaching me like the, the, the only way to really heal and grow through these things spiritually. I mean, I think we need other people like therapists and whatever to grow and heal mentally and emotionally and all these things. But Mm -hmm. um the God works through those types of people. But spiritually, my only hope for healing is to j- actually work through it and talk about it. Like, if mm-hmm. I don't do that, it's going to always be there. And so learning that willingness, and sometimes for me, it was easier to write it out than just, mm, yes. you know, um, other times, other times speaking, it was more helpful. Sometimes I would just read a psalm you know, that would express my, my same feelings. Um, but it really brought me back to a place of like, wow, I, this is where I want to be with God. Like I want to be willing to trust him even in the darkness. And, you know, I'm struck by people like Job. Job has a ton of laments as well in his book of the mm-hmm. Bible. and, and yet the very center of the book, the climax of the book is his hope in salvation in mm. resurrection. So once again, it's like, that is what got him through. Not, of course, God does restore all of his belongings and whatever, but yeah, he didn't know that would happen. Right. No. Like that's not what got him through. Like, and what got me through my divorce was not knowing that God would bring me a good man to marry someday, you know, it was that I had hope ultimately in heaven and that mm. God was walking with me through the dark places. And that's what gave me hope. Cause I didn't know what the future would hold, but I could have that hope in the God of the future, I guess maybe would be a good way to put it. I don't know, but
1: yeah, that's, that's cool. I like that. I like that thought that our hope is not, yeah, it's not in the things of this earth, but it's in God. And I just want to say, I really appreciate all the openness that you've shared today, like about your divorce and about lamenting and about these hard topics. And I think we both see the importance of sharing it. And I just, I love so much all that you have to say, and especially about lamenting. Um, I didn't realize that I needed to do this, but just hearing that today, I felt like saying like, Kylie, this is what you need to do. And like, we need to sit down and we need to have that open conversation that I don't want to have God, you know, and
0: Well, I think we all probably have something that we need to do that with, you know, because we all go through difficult things, you know, and they're different. I hope, I hope that, you know, many of the listeners don't have to go through a divorce, right. But I mean, they're all going through, you guys are all going through difficult stuff. So what are we going to do with those difficult things? And, um, lamenting is one way that we can get at them in our relationship with God Mm -hmm.
1: Um, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think we're kind of getting close to the end of our time. I just want to give you a last um, opportunity to share anything you want to leave our listeners with. Like, um,
0: yeah, yeah, I would just say, like, I think knowing that God is with you, even when you can't feel him is such a hard thing to hold on to. And I still Mm -hmm. really struggle with this um, but being able, like to me, this is where faith comes in its truest sense. You know, in the form of a lament or whatever form you bring it is like, I am choosing, even though I don't feel God there, I'm choosing to believe he is, and I'm choosing to follow him, and I'm choosing to trust that he is going to make it right in the end. Because that I think is the crucial, awesome thing about God is he doesn't just say, ah, trust me and whatever, right? Like he's like. I'm going to make things right. It may not be now, but you can wait and you can trust and I'll be with you through through it all.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so good and that is so hard too, but thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared and thank you to the listeners for listening today. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page that is God is Real, God is Good podcast or you can email us at God is real, God is good, podcast at gmail.com.
0: Bye! Bye.